0: All right, so just a little review. Last week we saw the three different views that are um, prominent in in the church today in America. And who can give me the three main evangelical views? Prohibitionist, Prohibitionist. abstentionist, Abstentionist. And and moderationist. Very good, that's great. Josh is checking his notes. Very good. Jordan tried to jump in there, and you know, yeah, he did, but. Josh took the lead, though. I don't know. Well, you know, it was a tie. It was a tie. <laughs> and, um, and of course, the prohibitionist says that it is absolutely forbidden, um, not fit for human consumption, uh, maybe essentially sinful. And the abstentionist says, for love's sake and wisdom's sake, because of society and technology and the potency and and the potential dangers it's best just to abstain although it's not necessarily a sin it's best just if everyone's abstained and then the moderationist says that the bible teaches that it should be used moderately for medicinal purposes sacramental purposes and in moderation and and the bible obviously condemns in the moderationist view the bible condemns drunkenness so condemns the abuse of alcohol and not necessarily the use in fact it commends the use and uh, and i made the case for the moderationist view the biblical case and uh, and we went through quite a few things regarding that and uh, today i thought i didn't have that many notes but they're uh, they printed on the backside that's going to be a problem oh boy <laughs> that's never happened i'm going to get lost all right Jew, we're going to need to use the iPad this morning. All right. So uh, today what we're going to do, after we saw basically what the Bible, how the Bible condemns drunkenness, and, um, you know, it was pretty thorough, right? Uh, it, it, it condemned drunkenness on, on many levels and for many reasons. Social ramifications, uh, ramifications and uh, damage to your vocation, to your witness, to your health to the To the name of God, I mean we really we really went into it, and I heard that no one had a beer at lunch uh <laughs> or dinner for the next four days, right <laughs> yeah, well, maybe that's fine, I don't know <clears throat> but um but today what we're going to do is we're getting into the actual terms, the words for wine and for strong drink, and we're going to be looking at the Old Testament and the New Testament if we have. If we have enough time. So let's first get into the Old Testament. And Kevin has a few verses for us. But the word is yayin. Yayin. And uh, I don't know precisely how to pronounce that. Um, but that's called yayin. And it is the Hebrew word for wine. It's translated wine. It's used uh, 141 times in the Old Testament. So obviously a part of the Bible and a part of humanity and culture. And yayin is fermented drink or intoxicating drink. <clears throat> Anybody here ever made a sourdough bread before? Right, it's magical. I remember the first time that Emily started making the sourdough bread. I was just so impressed at how uh, neat God is and how um, creative and how easy it was to discover such a wonderful thing. Uh, somebody, some caveman, <clears throat> was making dough. And correct me if I if I get this wrong. He was making dough, and he set it on the counter. And he came back later, and it was puffy and big. Right? Basically. Basically. <laughs> it's like a cave woman. That's right. Sorry. Why has it got to be a woman, Tori? Okay. Wow. Okay. Um, I know I don't I don't know that's not exactly how it worked but just exposing the the dough to the air transformed it into something better really something much better light and fluffy I don't think when we eat bread are we eating uh, sourdough bread sometimes no never it's it's the uh, the yeast is not added into it so it's just it's not sourdough okay what's the difference between uh, I got you. I got you. Yeah, interesting. Well, in the same, in the, in a similar fashion, when the uh, the grapes were crushed, and you know the juices is sponged and strained and filtered, it would eventually ferment, and and uh, the longer it aged, the stronger the fermentation. But they didn't have uh, refrigeration. They didn't have um, preservatives or anything like that, um, grape juice, as we think of it, was invented in the 1800s by a very wealthy man with the last name of Welch. And, uh, and he invented it for the uh, Christians who uh, could only handle Juicy Juice and juice boxes and so that they could have something in their communion. That's when it was invented. It wasn't uh, around in, in Jesus' time, especially not in Abraham's time. But that's the word yayin. It's fermented, intoxicating drink. And uh, you can see it first mentioned in Genesis chapter 9, 21. <clears throat> and this is uh, the first time Yayin is used in the scriptures. He drank of the wine and became drunk and lay uncovered in his tent. And this is uh, Noah. Everyone really excoriates Noah over this, but there was no morphine. There was no, uh, you know, if you had to get a tooth pulled, there was no shot there was no anesthetics it was just him and eight other people in the world right (laughs) starting from scratch so the bible never says anything wrong necessarily it uses the word drunk but it doesn't condemn noah at all it just says that he had had too much wine for some particular reason I'm certainly not going to judge him. He may have just had to have a tooth surgery. So, and we showed last week that sometimes alcohol is, is to be used medicinally. Right? We, we, we showed that. Um, so, but anyway, this is the first mention of the word yayim. And so, so far, what we've seen in today's class is that um, because of the context, yayim is clearly fermented drink that can intoxicate. Does everyone see that? He did not get drunk off of Welches. It's not possible. Um, he was drinking yain, which is the word wine. Wine is a great translation for it. Um, <clears throat> Moreover, um, the una- there is a unanimous agreement among lexical scholars. Lexicon is the biblical fancy way of saying dictionary. Um, among lexical scholars that yain refers to intoxicating drink it is a unanimous um, and you can look up uh, various biblical lexicons and thesauruses it obviously it refers to an intoxicant there's also a hermeneutical principle called the principle of first mention and that is when the bible uses a word for the very first time that first mention or that first usage sets a pattern for how it's to be interpreted throughout the rest of scripture Does that make sense? And so that's why we look here at the first mention or the first uh, mention of Yaim. And we see that Yaim in the first mention, and according to the context throughout all of Scripture, it refers to wine. So having established that, what Yaim is, what wine is, that it is an intoxicant, that it is um, fermented, uh, we can move on from that particular point. Let's go to Isaiah chapter 25 verse 6. We can see that um, wine and the production of wine and the increased fermentation of wine is not forbidden or excoriated in Scripture either. On this mountain, the Lord of hosts, this is referring to in that day in the Messianic age, a prophecy from Isaiah. He says, in the Messianic age, on this mountain, the Lord of hosts will make for all peoples a feast of rich food, a feast of well-aged wine, a rich, of rich food full of marrow, of aged wine, well refined. Now, who is who is preparing this fermented wine? This yaim, the Lord is preparing it. And in what what methods is He using to prepare it? He's using age. And, you know, that's why we have wine cellars, for it to be aged. Because as it is aged, it increases in flavor, from what I know, and it increases in potency. And this here, we see the Lord doing it himself with Yaim. Now, we saw last week, so, aged wine, it's not juice, it is fermented drink, all right? We saw last week that this fermented drink, Yaim, is not allowed for priests when they are ministering in the temple for kings when they are making policies and sitting on their throne, for judges when they're rendering judgments. Why is yaim not to be used by judges when they're rendering judgments? Because, yes, because it's fermented and it dulls their senses. I had a college professor who would grade all of our papers and these were huge tests. They were essay tests, and one test could be 12 pages long of writing. And he had the whole classes. It was a giant stack on his desk, and he would drink wine while grading. And he acknowledged that this was not ideal, but he, had, he was like, I have to to get through these. He said, but if you, don't, if you feel like my, uh, my judgment is impaired, please come and talk to me, right? Because he says it depends on where you are in the stack, you know? <laughs> <laughs> he wasn't a Christian, but uh, I did pity him for having to grade those papers. I, I would not have been able to do that. But um, but you see here uh, as well. Moving on, nowhere in the scriptures, nowhere in the scriptures does it forbid the use of yaim, nor does it forbid the making of it, nor does it forbid the aging of it. Right. Moving on, we see as well that Melchizedek offered Yaim to Abraham. Who's familiar with that particular story? Anyone? Melchizedek, a priest of the Most High God in a sacramental service, offers to Abraham as a gift along with a divine blessing, Yaim. It is not forbidden. It is not prohibited. There's nothing in the margins that says, and this was a sin that Melchizedek did because this is absolutely verboten. It doesn't say that. Many people even believe that Melchizedek is a, a pre-incarnate Christ. He's certainly a type of Christ. So we have a type of Christ offering as a sacramental gift, yaim. And what is yaim? It is fermented aged wine. God commands the gift of wine in the tithe, the gift of yaim. Exodus 29, Leviticus 23, Numbers 15, Numbers 28... It is a gracious blessing from God. Yaim is a blessing from God. Psalm 104. It's something that God gives to make the heart merry. Psalm 104. The gift of wine is a symbol of messianic blessings. Yayim is a symbol of messianic blessings. Isaiah 25. All right, so just looking at the, the lexicon. Looking at the dictionary definition of Yaim, and looking at the context of the scriptures, looking at all the times that, it is, that overuse of it, addictedness to it, drunkenness is forbidden, the fact that it's used medicinally and sacramentally, we conclude logically, and it's important to be logical, that the Bible condemns its abuse. Absolutely. Drunkards go to hell, right? But it does not condemn the use. It, in fact, commends the use, right, medicinally, sacramentally, and in moderation. Now, are there perhaps wisdom issues as to why some people should abstain? Yes, we talked about that last week. We talked about fasting. What are some other areas in which we should perhaps wisely fast? Food, and the Bible even talks about fasting from sex, that's right. Yes, we, a lot of us need to fast from media. Just, there's no need for you to announce it, remember? Jesus says, don't announce your fasts, and he includes your social media fast. You don't have to tell everyone, you know, I'm fasting. Don't tell anyone. Just stay off of it for a little while. Okay, moving on. That's a pet peeve of mine. <laughs> All right, so um, <clears throat> any questions about that or any, any thoughts on that? I did notice uh, how many Facebook posts were made in preparation for Thanksgiving, reminding Christians that eating a lot at Thanksgiving is not gluttony. Um, Yeah, we're so brave. (laughs) So brave. Gluttony is not overeating. Gluttony is when you worship food in your heart. Yeah, It's also overeating. Yeah, I mean, every glutton puts a lot of food in their mouth, right? And their heart is not pure, okay, right? Gluttony is when you are trusting in food as God. No, gluttony is when you eat too much, all right? And drunkenness is when you drink too much. This is not complicated, all right? And fornication is when you have sex, And you're not married. And adultery is when you have sex and you are married to a different person. All right? So these are not difficult. And the Bible compares all of these particular things. Does the Bible forbid eating food? No. Does it forbid sex? No. Does it forbid drinking and making and producing and tithing wine? No. But it does forbid the abuse of it. Amen. Some people are not mature enough for it. That's why we don't give sex to children, right? They're not mature enough for it. And that's also why we don't give them alcohol. They're not mature enough for it. And some grown-ups aren't mature enough for it either. And, uh, and that doesn't mean that the whole uh, community has to be on Juicy Juice, um, but it does mean that person has to be on Juicy Juice, because they're not mature. They're a juice box, uh, maturity level. And, and if anyone in this church has a problem with drunkenness, the elders of the church will demand that you go back to Juicy Juice. You will be cut off for a season of time. I think that's, that works, right? That's easy. That's easy. And, uh, and we'll start doing that with gluttony too soon. All right. Huh? Huh? Oh, no. He done did it. Okay. a <laughs> Okay that he even seeks it up But that other French word is grouement. Eat too much. <laughs> <laughs> How do you say it? Grouement? Grouement? Yeah. <laughs> All right, moving on to the next word. There's another word for uh, alcohol in the Old Testament. Not yayin, but shakar, shakar. And that is not wine. It's often translated strong drink. And one of the reasons we know it's not wine is because it's oftentimes listed right alongside of yayin. So you see yayin. What is yayin? It's wine. It's fermented grape juice. Grapes crushed, exposed to air, aged over time, fermented. That's yayin. But oftentimes, yayin is listed right next to shekar. Shekhar is referring to the fermentation, the fermented juice of other things, barley, apples, peaches, Um, it might be closer to what we think of as bourbon or moonshine or something like that. And I'm not a scientist, I don't know too much about this stuff, but it's not wine. And the Bible um, does, just as it does with Yaim, it offers quite a bit of warnings, quite a bit of warnings. It's powerful. The gifts of God are powerful, like fire, right? Like a war horse, like a cannon, not everyone's ready to use it, right? It's like reformed theology. Sometimes uh, young men get the uh, machine gun of reformed theology and start mowing down everybody. And they're like an Apache helicopter. It's like, hey, <laughs> that's t- that gun's too strong for you. You need Just just chill for a little while. Just chill for a little while. Um, but the same thing goes with uh, Shekhar. Shekar is very strong. And, and the Bible actually has quite a bit of, of warnings about shakar. Shakar is oftentimes mentioned alongside of brawling, uh, bar fights, uh, contentious church fights, husband and wife screaming and throwing plates. That very often goes along with shakar, right? A, a violent, blow-up, strife, contentious fight is very often associated with shakar, um, And it's often condemned. Um, But in Numbers 28, 7, It's drink offering shall be a quarter of a hen for each lamb. In the holy place you shall pour out a drink offering of strong drink, shakar, to the Lord. It is commanded to be used sacramentally in worship of the Lord. So in order for them to have strong drink to offer to the Lord, what is necessary? They have to make it. And they made it. They made it, and they tithed of it, and they offered sacrifices in the temple. Now, when offering up these drink offerings, the priests weren't supposed to be drinking it, but they were to offer it up to the Lord. As you can see, the Bible is not condemning the use of it or the making of it. Um, it doesn't condemn the drinking of it, but it does, most certainly in the most vehement fashion, condemn the, the abuse of it, the abuse of it. Deuteronomy chapter 14, verse 22 through 26 God commands, or at least um, encourages us to buy it. He says, "...you shall tithe all the yield of your your seed that comes from the field year by year, and before the Lord your God in the place that he will choose to make his name dwell there. You shall eat the tithe of your grain, of your wine, and of your oil, and the firstborn of your herd and flock, that you may learn to fear the Lord your God always." And if the way is too long for you so that you are not able to carry the tithe when the Lord your God blesses you because the place is too far from you which the Lord your God chooses to set his name there, then you shall turn it into money and bind up the money in your hand and go to the place that the Lord your God chooses and spend the money for whatever you desire, oxen or sheep or yaim or shakar. Does everyone see that? Whatever your appetite craves. And you shall eat there before the Lord, your God, and rejoice, you and your household. Very clear, very clear. Now, um, many of us grew up um, with certain traditions, right? And traditions are good and traditions are powerful. And we want to preserve good traditions, right? But tradition is not the Lord of our conscience. It's very important that your conscience be governed by the word of God. And reason, okay. Um, so, we many of us have had bad experiences in our life with drunkards, and uh, the misuse of shakar leading to brawling and fighting, and contention, and abuse. I mean, we all know stories of abusive fathers or abusive mothers who abuse shakar. Right? but our, our conscience is not to be lorded or guided or governed ultimately by our own personal experiences, right? Um, many of us came out of very sinful backgrounds. Some of us came out of apostate churches. Some of us came out of um, faux religion, right? Um, if we raised hands, we could go around the room and see all the bad experiences that we all had and all the false traditions that we once had. But traditions and experiences... Though they're a part of who we are, they are not to be the uh, law that we align our consciences to. And, and we have to make sure that we don't think we are wiser or more holy than God. We have to make sure it is absolutely essential that you align your conscience with the Word of God, period. You have to work on that. It's not something that happens overnight. When you become a Christian, you come into this, to this church With a conscience that's developed part by tradition, part by experience, part by your own common sense, and part by the Bible. And you have to work over time to make sure your conscience is exactly the same as the Bible. You have to work on that. You you understand what I mean? Otherwise, you're prone to um, your conscience being twisted by other traditions and other experiences. You don't want to be tossed to and fro by every wind of doctrine. Okay? Okay. and so it's very important to see this clearly and to see that God forbids the abuse, but he commends, or at least offers, the use. use. Right. Now there's another word, isis. And, uh, and isis may, there, there is not actually agreement on isis. Cease. Isis cease may refer to juice right after it's crushed. So it's like, new wine, right there in the very beginning, before it is allowed to age at all. Um, and, uh, and, and the Bible, though, says that too is a blessing from God in Joel 3 and Amos 9. Uh, but then it also says that this too, you can, you can get drunk off of, I guess, light yaim or light wine. Um, uh, Joel chapter 1 verse 5 and Isaiah chapter 49. So, just saying, with the three terms that the Bible uses for alcoholic beverages—yaim, Shekhar, and asis—in the Old Testament, we see, don't abuse it, but it's okay to use it. All right, let's move to the New Testament. Moving to the New Testament, now the New Testament word for wine is oinos. Oinos—it's used 39 times, <clears throat> and this is the equivalent. Oinos is the equivalent to yaim. If you got the Greek translation of the of the Old Testament you would see yaim is translated oinos, whenever it is used. And this can refer to, in the New Testament, oinos can refer to any kind of fermented beverage, wine, peach, wine, uh, even, even that which is made from barley and, uh, and uh, various grains. It's fermented, according to all uh, biblical dictionaries, it's fermented, intoxicant, and, um, and it's also clearly from the context of fermented drink. Um, oinos. Ephesians 5.18, do not be drunk with oinos. 1 Timothy 3.8, do not be addicted to much oinos. Titus 2.3, do not be enslaved to much oinos. You don't have to put all of these. You got them, though. There you go. It's oinos. It's clearly an intoxicant, it's clearly uh, something that can be misused. It's powerful. It's powerful. Um, <clears throat> but Ephesians, uh, Ephesians 5.18, we already said this, saw this one. And be not drunk with oinos. And notice how Paul, do you have the King James for us? Oh, yeah, there you go, King James. Notice how Paul explains what he means by drunk. Wherein is excess? See, excess. What is Paul clearly forbidding? And the Bible clearly forbids excess. Excess. <clears throat> but it does not forbid um, the use of it, you know, period. The next word is glucose, and that occurs in Acts chapter 2, verse 13. And, uh, and this might refer to uh, unfermented wine, <clears throat> but we're not, we're not exactly sure. I, I, don't, I don't think that it does. <clears throat> but it's in Acts 2.13, and it says, But others said they are filled with new wine. They, remember they were being mocked for, for speaking in foreign languages? And they said, oh, they're drunk. And it, it might be that they're saying that uh, they're drunk on juice, which would be a bit of an insult, I would imagine. Um <clears throat> but we're not exactly sure with that necessarily. <clears throat> um, a few more passages to consider. In Luke 7, we see that Jesus drinks wine. For John the Baptist has come eating no bread and drinking no wine, and you say he has a demon. The Son of Man has come eating and drinking, and you say, look at him, a glutton and a drunkard. Right? Jesus drank wine. Um, Jesus was accused of being a drunkard. John chapter 2, Jesus makes wine. And, uh, and Jesus commands or commends the use of wine in the Lord's Supper and, because that's was what was used in the Passover meal. So that's just a summary of the New Testament. Once again, does the New Testament condemn drunkenness? Yes. Uh, does it condemn immature use of God's gifts? Yes. We're to receive God's gifts with maturity and thanksgiving, um, but the but it does not forbid the, the total use of it. Jesus made it. Jesus drank it. Jesus used it in sacramental purposes, etc. Now now we're going to go through a uh, I'm going to go through a couple of difficult passages, and there's dozens of them. And if you have any if you have any particular passages, you were like, hey, but what about this one? I'd love to. Uh, maybe you could email me, and I'd be glad to give you all the reasonings behind it. And if you have any questions about any of this, um, I'm just doing a brief overview. So if you're like, hey, what about this? I can give you all, I can show you all my work if you would like. Um, But let's uh, go to a few difficult passages. Leviticus 10, starting in verse 8. Any questions while Kevin pulls that up? We got about six minutes left. Marley. brought this up earlier I think it's in Proverbs 31 the, like king, kings must not like like drink too much wine because they need to well yeah uh, kings and judges ministers I mean and this applies um, as well to anyone who is driving heavy equipment doing something of importance you should not be uh, drinking while you're doing that important thing okay. does that make sense
1: household you know if
0: he's doing if he's if he's driving his family on a family vacation he better not be drunk right or if he's spanking his kid he better not be drunk right if he's doing something if he's doing something but um you if if you're thinking does this mean that everyone who's in a leadership position can't drink period Um, no that's not what it means Um, we see many examples of this including Jesus Um, who's our high priest. But I'll show you, when I show you this passage, I think it's going to really help you with this particular issue. And the Lord spoke to Aaron saying, drink no wine or strong drink, you or your sons with you, when you go into the tent of meeting. You see, that's whenever the priests and the kings and the judges and and whatnot are are given uh, these rules, it's when they are operating, when they're offering sacrifices. I mean, it's like our rules, it says it like on a lawnmower or whatever, you know, or on a backhoe. Do not operate if you're on drugs, if you're on heavy prescription medic- narcotics. If you are uh, not in your normal state of mind, you don't want to run a crane, right? And that's the same symbol. You don't want to walk into the tent of meeting with the, with the flame of God's holy Shekinah fire, offering up sacrifices. That's what Nadab and Abihu did, they, if you study the context, they were drinking, and they were offering up strange fire, and they got destroyed for it. They're handling heavy, heavy equipment while drunk. Don't, don't do that for sure. You see, but when you go into the tent of meeting, lest you die, it shall be a statute forever throughout your generations. And this is a difficult passage because oftentimes people see that. You were distinguish between the holy and the common, between the unclean and the clean. And they say, aha, you see, Aaron and his, and his uh, descendants weren't supposed to drink. But no, this is talking about when they're offering ministerial sacrifices. There's several other passages in the scriptures which say this precise same thing. Not to mention we saw that Jesus, our high priest, drank, and so did Melchizedek offering it, etc., etc. Now, when did Jesus not drink? When he was going to go into... uh, Well, we don't know about that, but probably I would imagine no. Um, But when he went into the true temple which was at his death, remember what he said? He said, I will not drink of this until I'm with you in the kingdom. He had work to do. And he took his blood and offered it up into the Holy of Holies in the temple as our high priest, and he was not drinking. That's part of the symbolism here. Why on the cross of Christ did he refuse the vinegar? Because he wasn't drinking. Vinegar is a type of, a type of wine, right? It was for medicinal purposes. He refused that because he was engaged in his high priestly ministry. See what I mean? Um, Numbers chapter, oh, by the way, if you're, if you're still not sure about this, Aaron also had to wear special clothing, take certain kind of special baths. And these were not things he had to, he didn't always walk around in, a, in white linens with the breastplate and all of that and, all, and take a, a, like a full body special holy bath every day. Like this was when he did his special, special stuff. All right, uh, Numbers chapter six through 2 through 6, we have here another peculiar vow called the Nazarite vow, which is what I believe Jesus is taking when he is going in uh, to see the Father. Speak to the people of Israel and say to them, when either a man or a woman makes a special vow, the vow of a Nazarite to separate himself to the Lord, he shall separate himself from wine and strong drink, yaim and shakar. He shall drink no vinegar made from wine or strong drink and shall not drink any juice of grapes or eat grapes, fried or fresh or dried all the days of his separation he shall eat nothing that is produced by the grapevine not even the seeds or the skins and this was a Nazarite vow uh, some people use this to say you see we shouldn't drink but this is a temporary vow and it also forbids cut, uh, cutting your hair it also forbids eating grapes or anything that produced on the vine fermented or not fermented and uh, it was a special uh, seasonal peculiar vow that could be taken um, Samson was a Nazarite his entire life, which was a peculiar calling that he had. And that's why he had the long hair and he didn't eat grapes and all that stuff. He also couldn't drink. There's a, there's a bunch of other uh, passages. Let's, let's end with this one Proverbs chapter 20, verse 1. Yes, yes, wine is a mocker, strong drink a brawler. Yaim Shakar, and whoever is led astray by it is not wise. What is this warning us against? Being led astray. That's right, being led astray. It's not forbidding the use, it's forbidding the abuse. Right? And if you're not mature enough for it, don't do it. Right? Stay away, please. Right. <clears throat> but if you do receive this very strong and powerful gift from the Lord, um, make sure you do it with thanksgiving and with moderation. The same with food. The same with food. Um <clears> 1 <throat> Corinthians uh, chapter 8, verse 1 shows us this a similar pattern. He says, Wine is a mocker, strong drink a brawler. That doesn't therefore mean you don't drink it. It means you watch out for the misuse of it. You be warned by it. Look at Paul says, Knowledge puffs up. I literally heard a pastor preach this one time. He's like, This is why y'all don't need to be just studying and reading theology books and getting all learning all that stuff, because it's just gonna make you proud. No, that's not what this means. It's warning you about the potential dangers of something very powerful. Knowledge can puff up, but we don't therefore conclude that we are to stay ignorant. Rather, we're to grow in the grace and the knowledge of the Lord and not fall into the excesses of reading too many books. Amen? All right, so next week we're going to talk about maturity a little bit more christian liberty we talk about weak consciences strong consciences biblical consciences there's a lot of things to talk about in this particular subject and i hope that uh by the end of it we will have even more and more uh, unity in the matter all right one last question if it's a good one all right y'all have a good lord's day